podcast one production. Hello, I'm Adam Shand and welcome to episode six of Understate Lawyer X. In late January 2020, everyone was waiting for Gobbo. The barrister-turned-underworld snitch was scheduled to appear before the Royal Commission into her activities as an informer for Victoria Police. She was in hiding somewhere overseas with her two children, too medically unfit to return to Melbourne. It seemed unlikely that she would front, yet weeks earlier she travelled to another location to hold a lengthy television interview with the ABC's 7.30 report. She was sailing very close to a contempt charge that carries six months jail. If she didn't give evidence, she would risk becoming a fugitive. Before we recommence, um, there are a couple of matters. Mr Collins and Mr Nathwani, I want to raise arising out of the 7.30 program with Nicola Gobbo last night. Gobbo's counsel was feeling the heat from the commissioner. Margaret McMurdo QC had put up with Gobbo's excuses for 10 months. Her patience was wearing thin. Around the same time the cameras rolled on Gobbo's interview, her counsel was providing sick notes to the Royal Commission. Margaret McMurdo QC. Now you made submissions uh, last week about her providing reasonable excuse to the Commission for her non-attendance. I would like to know why the Commission was not informed that at or about that very time she was flying to an international destination and uh, giving a lengthy interview to uh, nationwide media and that was not disclosed to the Commission when I was being told, instead the Commission was being told that she was too unwell to give evidence. Rish Nathwani. At the um, time I made the submission before you last week, I hope you accept having... um, for you and Mr Collinson for the last 10 months that uh, you were not misled at all. Um, It was not within my knowledge at all. During her ABC interview, Gobbo had promised to furnish a statement to the Royal Commission. When can the Commission expect to receive this uh, statement for the Royal Commission that she spoke of in the interview? Um, I can't give you a definitive answer as far as that's concerned. Um, All I I can say is that we are in the process of obtaining some instructions and we will um, report back once they're received. Well, I expect a better answer than that tomorrow morning. Thank you. The prospect of six months in jail finally motivated Gobbo to make an appearance in spite of her various illnesses. She agreed to give evidence, but it would be on her terms, via a video link back to Melbourne, and only Royal Commissioner McMurdo would be allowed to view her face. She would only be available for five half days, punctuated by regular breaks. She made a statement of just seven pages to cover a myriad of her activities as registered informer number 3838. An actor is reading from the statement. 
From the outset, I wish to make it clear I have always wanted to assist the Royal Commission and provide evidence as best I can. My health, which has been an issue for me since 2004, coupled with my personal circumstances, including the full-time care of my children, have made it exceptionally difficult to do so. She was at pains to say her cooperation was limited by the fact that she'd only taken a passing interest in the Royal Commission. A remarkable claim, given that these proceedings might have a profound impact on Gobbo's future liberty. To be clear, I am unaware, beyond the odd press report or brief summary by my legal team, as to what evidence has been received beyond the two witnesses whose transcripts I have been provided. To put this in context, I am unaware as to the evidence of my handlers, the investigators, etc. I have not logged on to the Royal Commission website and I have not watched any of the live stream. This is due to security issues, my personal circumstances and my health. I only received occasional updates from my legal team and others. However, in the ABC interview, Gobbo seemed to demonstrate a much greater understanding of what had been going on in Melbourne. She seemed to be confident what evidence had and had not been given. No, this is a topic that the Royal Commission haven't covered in any way yet. No, Rachel, that's a matter that's literally currently before the Royal Commission, so I can't talk about any detail until my um, witness statement is finalised. Gobbo's statement provided no new factual material and failed to address the dozens of allegations that have been levelled at her. She was more focused on setting the record straight on personal matters that had little or no relevance to matters before the Royal Commission. I also wish to add this detail. The reporting I have been made aware of suggests, A, that I am an illegal drug user. That is ridiculous. Apart from minor recreational cannabis use when I was at university, I have never taken illegal drugs. And this despite her guilty plea in 1993 to charges of possessing and using amphetamines. B, that I provided information against all of my clients. That is wrong. I did not inform on the large majority of the clients I represented. They were represented to the best of my ability and often received favourable outcomes. C, that I was promiscuous. Allegations about my personal life, many of them blatantly false, have been the subject of extensive media reporting for a protracted period. My privacy has been invaded comprehensively, but the picture that has been painted of me is far from the truth in many respects. Gobbo emphasised the impact of Victoria Police's treachery, perhaps a prelude to her upcoming civil action against her one-time collaborators. The impact of my interactions with Victoria Police, coupled with the subsequent media coverage, has also caused me numerous sleepless nights due to the significant detrimental impact it has had on my children and their futures. The only factual material related to a draft statement she gave on the 2003 murder of Shane Chartres Abbott, which I covered in the Trials of the Vampire podcast. Contained in the unsigned statement was an allegation that the prime suspect, Mark Adrian Perry, had made a spontaneous confession to Gobbo when she met him in the office of his solicitor. I have seen a draft statement relating to Operation Briars. I can say that during the taking of that statement in Bali, I did not say that Mark Perry confessed to me. I believe that Ron Idles will confirm this. I have never seen that entry until I was shown it recently. It must have been added without my knowledge. I assume it must have been added by D.I. Waddell, but that is a matter for him to answer. The discussion of this statement would be one of the few highlights of her appearance, and her evidence would raise more questions than it answered. More of that shortly. We have Miss Gobbo on the line here. Can you hear me, Miss Gobbo? Yes, I can. 
We'll take the barbel in your right hand. Will you please repeat after me? I swear by Almighty God. I swear by Almighty God. That the evidence I shall give. That the evidence I shall give. Shall be the truth. Gobbo's curtailed appearance truth, would prove to be an anticlimax. It seemed that the commission needed Gobbo only to confirm what they already knew that Gobbo's dual roles as barrister and consort to drug lords and criminals, whom she later snitched on, had been wrong in ethics and probably in law. Royal Commission Barrister Chris Winnicky QC. Now, uh, in paragraphs 23 and 24 of your affidavit, you said, I can assure members of the board that upon being granted admission to practice, my integrity and honesty will not be compromised. In accordance with the trust and privilege vested in me by the court, I will endeavour to be upstanding and honourable member of the legal profession. 24, I understand how important it is for members of the legal profession to uphold the law and I undertake to do so. Yes. And as a consequence, on the 7th of April, you are admitted to practice as a barrister and solicitor in Victoria. Is that correct? Yes. And um, obviously, there are, you know, um, I have failed in that regard because look where we are. Winicky went on to work through a list of crimes Gobbo had potentially committed by snitching on the clients she was representing. These ranged from perjury and obtaining financial advantage by deception to perverting the course of justice. Um, and you were aware that by turning up and providing advice to him, you were in effect um, doing things which would have a tendency to pervert the course of justice? Potentially. Well, you were aware uh, of that, weren't you? That that could happen, yes. Gobbo made no attempt to hide from her actions. She agreed with the proposition that she had been a spectacularly good liar. And she felt like she belonged inside the gangs that she worked for, including Tony Mockbell's crew, which included her then-boyfriend, Adam Ahmed. You know, looking back, I did derive some... Um, self-importance and some feeling that I was um, irrelevant or validated by reason of being wanted by people like Tony. Earlier she told the ABC that she became an informer after police threatened her. But she told a different story to the Commission. She'd fallen into a netherworld of police. She had felt valued by both Victoria Police and the drug lords and their crews. The turncoat barrister knew these betrayals would eventually catch up with her, yet she could see no end. She expected to be killed or find herself in a royal commission. I wanted a tram to hit me on the way to court because I could not work out how to not disappoint anyone or how to not let anyone down and how to get out of that mess without, or probably in a way that meant I didn't have to stand up to anyone, which seems to be what I had an inability to do. For more than a decade, I've been following two murder cases. The killing of Shane Chartres Abbott, the so-called vampire gigolo, in June 2003, and the slaying of informer Terry Hodson and his wife Christine in May 2004. Currently, these cases are unsolved. These killings went to the heart of the dysfunction in Victorian justice, how police managed informers in Victoria. And Nicola Gobbo was central to both stories. To date, no one has been brought to justice for these crimes. It's believed that a career criminal, Rodney Earl Collins, was the killer of the Hodsons. 
It's thought he gained entrance to the Hodson's house by posing as a police officer. We still don't know who ordered the killing. A former police officer, Paul Dale, was the prime suspect. However, the charges were dropped after the Crown's star witness, informer Carl Williams, was bashed to death in jail in 2010. That case may never be solved. In the Chartres Abbott case, a career criminal whom I call the author for legal reasons claimed to have been the killer. The author, who most agree is a compulsive liar, named past and serving police officers as part of the conspiracy. His story was full of holes, which I detailed in my podcast, The Trials of the Vampire. It's a murder that's never been dealt with, and a killer walks free. I'd hoped that the Royal Commission would shed light on these crimes and the role of informers in the ham-fisted prosecutions that followed. I'd thought police could be motivated to return to the evidence and pursue justice for two families who lost loved ones. But as the last public hearings wound down, that seemed a forlorn hope. In the Chartres Abbott case, rather than drive at the rotten heart of this prosecution, the Commission concentrated on a clearly bogus confession that Gobbo was said to have told police about. Two officers, Detective Inspector Steve Waddell and Detective Sergeant Ron Iddles, had gone to Bali to interview Gobbo in May 2009. Just why this had to be done in Bali is uncertain. Gobbo wasn't living there, but liked spending vacations on the resort island. Gobbo, her handlers and the two homicide detectives spent the best part of a week there. The product of the Bali junket was a draft unsigned statement that included the startling claim that prime suspect Mark Perry had bumped into Gobbo at his lawyer's office and spontaneously confessed to killing Chartres Abbott. A less credible claim seems hard to make and at the Royal Commission, Gobbo denied ever making it. An actor is reading from Gobbo's statement. Further, I have seen a draft statement relating to Operation Briars. I can say that during the taking of that statement in Bali, I did not say that Mark Perry confessed to me. But counsel for the police, Saul Holt QC, hit back with a text message that Gobbo had sent. I want to show you a, a text message that you sent to one of the people who, was, who were looking after you over that period of time. Now, the way this reads, Ms Gobbo, I'm sure you can figure it out, is that this is at 1.05pm on the 25th of October 2009 and it's a text message that you send on the records that we have to one of those people looking after you. It says, good to see that Vic Poll have finally broken the story on Mark Perry, the murderer I told Briars all about. Do you see that? Yeah. Yeah, and do you accept that you sent that? Yes. And there's a note. It sounds like what I would write to. Yeah, yeah, and it says, read today's paper so you're up to speed. Do you see that? Yeah. Um, toward the end, it says how fucking funny it is to be so instrumental yet treated with it best indifference. Stop, circus, stop. Do you see that? Yeah. All right. Yes. And so again, recognising the passage of time and the indications of difficulty with memory than you have being shown that SMS, do you accept that it is at least reasonably possible that you in fact were the provider of the information about the Mark Perry confession that we can see in the draft statement? It looks like it. Steve Woodell was equally certain that Gobbo had told them of Perry's remarkable confession. To assist the Commissioner with this issue, can I just ask you a couple of questions surrounding that topic and when it came up when you were speaking with Ms um, Gobbo in Bali. Firstly, is there any doubt in your mind that the Mark Perry confession was in fact referred to by Ms Gobbo while you were taking the statement from her in Bali? None whatsoever. Ron Iddles was adamant that she hadn't mentioned the confession. Do you have any recall of her 
saying anything like that at the time in Bali? I have no recollection uh, of that uh, confession uh, whatsoever. Uh, my mind is not uh, infallible. I've listened to the evidence of Mr Waddell today and that still doesn't uh, assist me, but I did my own inquiries uh, once I became aware that the draft statement was tendered uh, to the Royal Commission last year and those inquiries supported my belief that it wasn't said, or it wasn't wasn't in the original, or no one knew of it. Right. Now, you've given evidence, and indeed uh, you've sworn statements to the effect that you had no recollection of hearing this uh, alleged confession made to Ms Gobbo. Had you heard something like that, would that have caused you to do something? Uh, probably do a handstand. The confession, or fabrication, depending on your view, had one massive issue. The alleged confession from Perry happened on November 11, 2002, a full seven months before the Chartres Abbott murder even took place. If Gobbo had said it, she was not just an informer, but a psychic predictor of the future. A couple of days of the hearing was wasted on this pointless exercise that would have been better spent on untangling the lies of the author, whose confessions and allegations had led to the most expensive police investigation in Victoria's history. The last public hearing days wound down in February 2020, and there was an overwhelming sense of anticlimax. The report from the Royal Commission was due to be handed down in July. There was no doubt that Victoria Police were responsible for one of the biggest stuff-ups in Australian legal history. The cops and their informer had careened towards the edge of a cliff that everyone knew was there. But no one was prepared to act. A number of prosecutions failed and other convictions may yet be found to be unsafe. Just how much has been learnt from this debacle remains to be seen. Anything that I did or didn't do um, was at the behest and controlling with the full knowledge and imprimatur of Victoria Police. So if I'm to be charged, then um, I suppose we'll be in the dock together. And what of Lawyer X herself? Nicola Gobbo has successfully played both sides. She's controlled the narrative. She's given evidence to the Royal Commission on her terms and is set to sue Victoria Police for a second time. Lawyer X has played a dangerous game of duplicity. So far, she's defied the odds and popular opinion and stayed alive, while others have died violently for their informing. Meanwhile, Victoria Police has done all it can to ensure a bare minimum of information has been revealed to the public. As the Royal Commission drew to a close, we awaited the outcome. Would it all have been a waste of time? Or would the Commission finally reveal what we all knew anyway? And even more critically, would those that Gobbo snitched on, robbing them of a fair trial, walk free? And would police be forced to reopen investigations into murder cases that still remained unsolved? All we could do was wait and see what the findings held. Understate is written and produced by Adam Shand. Audio editing, mixing and original score by Matt Nikolic. Executive producer is Grant Tothill. Associate producer is Sarah Grinberg. Research by Nollywe Shand. Understate is a Podcast One Australia production.